This Someday is Here series is sponsored by Denver Seminary. I love Denver Seminary and am currently enrolled as a student. I'm constantly blown away by the integrity and humility and commitment to excellence that I've experienced from the faculty, the staff, and just to have met students from all walks of life. You'll hear more about Denver Seminary later in the show, but if you want to go ahead and check out their degree programs, visit denverseminary.edu slash Vivian, V-I-V-I-A-N. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Someday is Here. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and I just want to say happy AAPI Heritage Month. Uh, In the month of May, we are doing something special here on the podcast, and we are going to take the next five weeks to explore adoption. Um, One of my passions is to really help bring more education, understanding, and just really highlight and center Asian American adoptees and their stories. Uh, But I've also brought together a group of um, adoptive parents, adoptive moms that I trust that have done, in my opinion, a good job of really walking the adoption path. process and journey with their kids. So my hope is that this series would be beneficial for those of us who love uh, adoptees, transracial adoptees, transcultural adoptees, uh, who are adoptees or who are raising kids of Asian descent. Um, I'm excited really to bring to you some really great voices uh, from a wide spectrum of experiences and to really um, hit the different parts of the adoption triad, um, the first families, the adoptees, and the adoptive families as well. So enjoy these next five weeks. I can't wait to dive into this very important topic, and I'm so glad that you're here for the journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Someday Is Here podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni, and this has really been a rich, rich um, series on adoption. And in this series, I'm really trying to bring um, honor, dignity, and uh, perspective from all the various parts of the adoption triad, whether it's the first families the adoptee, the adoptive parents, they all have a story and they all have um, a perspective that is really worth um, learning from and being able to lean in and um, glean from. And so I'm really thankful. I have invited today Shannon Martin, whom I consider um, a a woman and a mom, um, an adoptive mom who really exemplifies what I hope this whole conversation encompasses, which is really a humble learner attitude and just really uh, working through a lot of uh, the story of adoption and how it all fits together. Shannon is the author of Start With Hello. We're going to talk about her latest book. It's it's excellent. She's such a gifted writer. She's also the um, author of The Ministry of Ordinary Places and Falling Free. She's a speaker and a writer. 
Um, her voice is found in the country, her story in the city. I just love that. And uh, she works as a cook at The Window, a local nonprofit dedicated to feeding its community. And she and her family live as grateful neighbors in Goshen, Indiana. So welcome to the Sundays Here podcast, Shannon. It's so good to be here, Viv. Thank you. So fun. I can't wait to actually hug you one day. But I feel like our paths have crossed back and forth through the Sundays Here, um, you know, space. So you're considered like an insider in our in our community. Mm. So it's wonderful to have you. The world that means the world to me. Oh. And I feel like you and I have met, but we haven't. So I, yeah, one yeah. of these days. One of these days. Well, we have so many wonderful mutual friends. And so yeah. it's just bound to happen. And I feel very connected with you over our mutual backpack. So we'll talk about <laughs> right. that too. So the backpack. Yes, we'll have to. Yes, all those things. But for um, the listeners, I would love for you to mm-hmm. just kind of jump in and share with us some of your story and your adoption story and kind of yeah. how you have ended up where you are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd love to. And and Viv, just feel free to hop in if you if you want to kind of popcorn this back and forth. But I'll share sure. just, you know, I'll kind of get us started. So my husband Corey and I um have been married for 20-something years. I, <laughs> I don't know the exact amount, maybe 23 years. Um, and we early, you know, we, we started off our marriage knowing that we um planned to have a family one day. We didn't really dive right into that. So we were kind of focusing on careers and things like that. And then we did eventually experience infertility, um, which is something that, you know, we all know that that this happens. And this is, a you know, typically we know somebody who's been impacted by infertility. And yet it was not trouble I had ever borrowed for myself. You know, it took me by surprise in some way. I think that's typically typically how that goes. And so we did end up over the course of that journey, um, jumping into adoption and, and we can get into this today and I hope we do, but, but what I can say is we, we were, um, despite, despite efforts to be prepared and to really kind of have a sense of, of what adoption really was and, and the complexities of it, the layers of it, I can look back now and say, we did not have a clue. <laughs> We really, we really had minimal, um, comprehensive understanding of of what this really meant, um, and I and I really I appreciate that this conversation. You know, that would have been almost eighteen years ago, eighteen nineteen years ago, and so the conversation really has moved forward in a lot of important ways. I feel, um, in part, thanks to you know conversations like this that we're having right here in the series that you're doing. Um, but, but I'll just give a quick rundown of my family. That might be the, a a good place to start. So we adopted Cal. Um, he's 17 years old. He was born in South Korea. Ruby is 16 now. She is biracial and was adopted as an open adoption domestically here in Indiana. Silas is now 14 and he was also born in South Korea. He is also half Indian. Um, that's something that we are just, that's kind of something we are piecing together more recently. So that's been a a fun thing for us to explore as a family and to kind of help, you know, put some of those puzzle pieces that we do have access to into his puzzle. It's been really important. And then coming after the three that we still have at home, we brought into our family, Robert, who is 28 years old. 
So he is by far our oldest, but he came into our family most recently. And, and that was just another kind of, you know, very unexpected surprise in our life. Um, he is from kind of the, the Midwestern area. So yeah, we have one grown son out of the house and we have three teenagers here in our home and life is an adventure. <laughs> and, and, and I will say, you know, adoption has been a, a central part of our, our family, not just because, you know, our family was formed through adoption. It's something that we have chosen from the very beginning to, to, to leave it on the table, you know, that this is something that was going to be talked about regularly. It was going to be a normal part of our conversation, our interaction, um, doing whatever we could to kind of make that conversation something we could put, pick up whenever needed yeah. and, and sit back down right on the dining room table, you know, right yeah. here in plain sight so that it was something that was going to be kind of woven into our life together as a family. Um, and that, that's kind of how we've, how we've done that. That is so beautiful. I've been recently reading um, It Takes More Than Love by uh, uh, Brittany Salmon, and she talks about- Oh, yes. 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 So um, mm -hmm. she's so brilliant. But she did talk about in the book, like for um, families- you know, with the couples who have dealt with infertility, that that's something mm -hmm. that she really encourages those couples to kind of have a process to kind of work through so that yeah. the infertility piece doesn't move into the adoption piece. Yep. Was that something that you were aware of and you walked through or is that something you uh, look back on? How was that for you? Mm -hmm. I think that's a common question, a question I've received a lot over the years and unhelpfully, um, for whatever reason, I don't quite know why this is, but that was not a hurdle for me. And the ways that it that I know it can be, um, it was it didn't for whatever reason I, I truly don't know it didn't quite carry that that kind of long haul pain that it that it brings for a lot of people. And so I think it's just something you know personality or I don't know what it is, but it was certainly unexpected. It was certainly um, heartbreaking in some ways at the time and painful and complicated, but. But I don't know. I think I have the the kind of personality that can just kind of close that book, you know. And so there was there was a sense of of closure. There was a clear moment for me when I was like, I'm done with this, you know. I just was ready to move on from that. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that that healing maybe came differently, or maybe it even came a little more easily for me. Um, and that that wasn't something that that. I struggled with in the way that I know a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's even helpful to to share because I think the adoption mm -hmm. story is so unique that no two stories are the same and families yeah, come together right. in such different ways and um, different combinations and all of that. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this five-episode series is sponsored by Denver Seminary. For more than 70 years, Denver Seminary has prepared and sent thousands of graduates into the world. What I love is that Denver Seminary's community is represented by more than 50 denominations, and it's uniquely known for demonstrating steadfast dedication to the unchanging foundations of biblical faith while being committed to charitable orthodoxy and deep relationships. Denver Seminary offers several fully accredited degree options to students with courses delivered either on campus, fully online, or through a blended delivery model. So this makes exemplary theological studies available to anyone and from anywhere. And I have loved being in class with students from around the world because it just enriches the study of the Bible and of theology. If you have considered at all 
getting a formal seminary education, I want to encourage you to check out the programs and the community at Denver Seminary. Visit denverseminary.edu slash Vivian for more information. I am especially interested, obviously, as you know, with Some Days Here being a space for AAPI um, listeners and people who want to learn about um, Asian American Pacific Islander culture and leaders and all of that. But, you know, with your kids, like how I think one of the things that I mean, this has just been in our conversations over the years, Mm -hmm. but just how have you made intentional decisions to help your kids who are of Asian descent really mm-hmm. embrace their heritage? I I give this is a this is a complicated question because I can think of it now as who I am in 2022 and who my kids are. And I can think of it, you know, 18 years ago when we first kind of found ourselves on this journey. Yeah. Um, in adopting Asian children. You know, our our first our first child is South Korean. And 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 there there's quite honestly um i have regrets i have regrets that i was not as proactive um that i was that i did not you know i felt like i i i did value it and that we were never coming from the perspective of we're going to be a colorblind family you know that wasn't right. where we were but at the same time you know i i see other parents doing a better job now than what we did especially with our babies um and so for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm working through kind of forgiveness for myself, like giving myself grace that I was doing the best I could with what I had, yeah. but also acknowledging that, um, that, that I wish we would have prioritized kind of cultural awareness um, and education more when they were young. What I will add is that anything we sort of, any part of this we kind of got right early on was because my son, Cal, was just born with an intense cultural identity that that was that he asserted <laughs> from a very, very young age. Wow. And so I I think I think if we did anything right, we made space for that. We celebrated that. You know, we weren't always proactive in the way I wish we would have been. Um, but but we were we were so embracing of of his desire to learn. And um, we found whatever ways we could to support that. I found a a Korean culture camp in a nearby state when yeah. he was, I think, in second grade. And it was like, okay, you know, and that's that's was at a time where money was really tight for my family, but it was there was a clear sense of this is important to him. Yeah. And and it's, you know, I knew it was important too. And so we were gonna, we were going to make sacrifices to get him to that camp and to and we still we talk about it still. He remembers it so clearly. Um, so yeah, he just had a, a real, a real sense of who he was as a Korean American child. And he was very, very connected to that, that piece of his history. And, and yeah, we, we just kind of provided the, the light and the, the water, you know, to the, the atmosphere to help that grow. Sure. What would be some examples of how, you know, when you talk about him really having that, um, sense of his Koreanness, like what how did yeah. that manifest itself in his life? Yeah, well, I guess I'll first start by saying because I think this is this is um, relevant to adoptive parents in general, maybe transracial adoptive parents in particular, but 
But I remember being aware that there were going to be some hard questions, even even in all of our attempts to really normalize these conversations and, you know, to make it a part of our, you know, to be talking about birth parents and adoption. And, you know, both of my boys spent time in a foster home in Korea talking about that. I knew there would be harder questions that would come, but I was not prepared for how early they would come. And, wow. and okay. Cal is kind of an old soul in some ways. Like he's a very, he used to, I remember when he was, he was verbal very early. And I remember him saying, you know, he was kind of staring out the window and he said he was tiny and he said, I'm just feeling pensive. Wow. <laughs> and so that's kind of the, like, that was the kind of kid okay. he was and still is in many ways. His vocabulary outpaced mine somehow early on. <laughs> yes. um, but, yeah. but understanding that sense of loss sense of um, that that sense of real loss and and separation from culture and separation from language and not to mention you know the the separation from parents you know all of these things like like the, those conversations came with intensity sooner than I expected Wow um, but then I'll say you know to think back to some of the the ways his his cultural, identity was was becoming you know really prominent early on there's there's a story that's it's actually very dear and cute um but i went into when when we moved into this house in this neighborhood he was in second grade and it was everything about our community was new to us it is a we moved out of a predominantly white community into a community and a public school system that is much more diverse but the asian population is still very very small so their school was like 70% latino and so we showed up for his first parent teacher conference and I'm sitting there in the little chair at the little desk. His teacher is a white woman. She's wonderful. All my kids have had her since then. And I glance up and I see this tiny Korean flag on the wall, like the big American flag and then yes. this little tiny Korean flag. But I was also like, I re- like that flag, I think used to live in my home. And now I'm looking <laughs> up and seeing it on the wall of the classroom. Oh. And so I asked about it. And Mrs. Drescher said, oh, yeah, at the beginning of the year, Calvin brought it into school and asked if I would hang it up by the American flag. So she's like, so I did. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I, I love I that. I love it, too. Like the the initiative and um, and and really the confidence in yes. saying, yes, this is who I am and this is important to me. Yes. And the fact that she rolled with it. I mean, yes. on every level. Yes. That's sort of the spirit that he had was was, you know, this this is who I am. Yeah. This is and, part of you me. know, we want to find ways to learn about it. We want to find ways to celebrate it. So, you know, Korean cooking is something that I've gotten better at over time. But honestly, at this point, you know, we we prioritized it pretty early on and wanting to learn about it and finding Korean restaurants and those kinds of things, Korean markets. He's 17 now. He's a senior in high school. And he he talks often about how he looks forward to um, being out on his own and eating all Korean food. Like he <laughs> cooks for himself all the time. He has his Korean cookbooks and it's just really beautiful. Yeah. To yeah. be able to to watch this continue to grow in him, I love that, and, and to not feel threatened by it in any way, yes. you know, to really celebrate it. Yes. Well, and I would say I love that that you had a Korean flag in your home that even he could yeah. bring to school, right. and so um, all those decisions. I mean, they really matter, and I think um, the conversations that have been most meaningful to me from adoptive parents are ones where. 
you know, there is like, I wish I would have done some things differently, but these are the yeah. things that I tried to be intentional about. And yeah. um, just yeah. seeing that and, and, and understanding each child is different and each child processes right. differently. That's true. You know, um, that's true so, in my house. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I love that. So when you think back, um, I mean, gosh, you've had such a wide range of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of advice would you give to especially um, white adoptive parents when it yeah. comes to this whole conversation? Um, just, yeah. you know, some of your best advice to them. Um, I'll, I'll frame this as things I wish I would have done a better job at early on. <laughs> sure thing. Yeah. Um, you know, while I did not have that sense of, of, you know, color blindness as a value for our family. I mean, I think that's like base level, base level. That's like, a like understanding the, the real value and beauty in culture and in differences and in different, you know, being able to really celebrate that rather than I just hear from people and have had friends in my life who, who had been adopted, who felt like there was really like an erasure of that cultural identity, like a complete, like the, the goal was like immediate assimilation. Right. And, and I, I I think that is obviously very, very damaging, but what I wish I would have done better, a couple things. I mean, there were probably, the list is longer than, than what we're going to have time here (laughs) for. I wish I would not have said so much publicly early on. That's a big regret that I have as just a writer and a, you know, a person on the internet. Um, I think when, when we have small, you know, when we're young moms and we have small children and babies, they, they feel almost like an extension of us. Like I look back and think like, you know, I couldn't comprehend these babies as, 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 adolescents and adults and, you know, completely autonomous for me. It's just hard to do that when they're little. And I think that kind of blurs the boundaries in ways that are unhelpful. So I wish I would have just been more cautious about that. And I, I honestly very, very rarely talk about adoption in general at this point. Um, I also, um, wish, you know, I, I wish I had been more prepared and more, um, forthright, I guess, with, with comments from other people. I wish I did not, you know, I think there's a way to, to come at these unwelcomed questions with kindness um, and grace. But I, I too often allowed myself to um, make space for them. You know, I, I answered, I wish I would have been more prepared that these things were going to happen and, and more willing to, you know, very directly kind of shut those conversations down and those unwanted questions from perfect strangers often. You know, I remember getting questions from people in the grocery store and yeah. And and over time what I started to understand is number one, my kids are listening. Right. They're aware of this. Yes. Number two, those conversations often they often carry the air of white saviorism. In a way that I could not completely see or understand initially, you know, these are things I kind of have learned over time, um, and and those things those things marinate in the hearts of our young kids, even when it feels like you know they're little, they're playing, they're unaware, whatever. 
Um, they actually do listen. Yeah. What, do you have some examples yeah. of some of the insensitive comments and then how you would respond now today, knowing what you yeah, do? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, people would, would ask the, I, I would say the thing I received most often was just attention. And this is a tricky one for people because I think a lot of times we feel like our intentions are so good, you know, but, but we cause harm. We can very much cause harm in our good intentions. So even like it started to be obvious for me at some point, everywhere we went, people, their eyes were going to be on us. And, and very often, even in kindness, they would say, your family's so beautiful. And, and so it's like, that's not an unkind thing to say, right? but I would caution all of us to maybe not do that, you know, to, to not, because over time, what I realized was my kids can't go anywhere without being reminded that they are different or that our family is different. And, you know, they get, they, they grow, they get older, they get into like late elementary school, even early elementary school. And it's a very, very uncomfortable thing for not all kids, not even all of my kids, but for some of my kids was like, it was embarrassing. It was, it was just a, a reminder, you know, we're living our lives and this is our family. And, you know, these are my parents, but the constant reminder of, oh, you don't quite fit there. Yes. Yes. And so we frame it as like, your family is beautiful, but my kids were hearing it as you don't match. I noticed that something is different about you. And, and that was hurting them. Yeah. That still hurts. That can still be a, a hurtful thing. And it brings up all the all the other emotions and and the loss and the grief and you know these complexities of adoption. Um, but I but I think also just questions of um, are these all yours? Are these kids all yours? Um, or who you know where are they from? You know, oftentimes right in front of the kids. Or um, who's their mom? That that's a question that I. I honestly, we can talk about this, but initially I, my response was always, I'm their mom, because I just remember thinking how confusing for my children, like they knew they were adopted, right? but, but this is a confusing message for a young child. Yes. I will say now my kids are teenagers and I, I, and I don't, I don't know, people might have different opinions on this, but I, I have no struggle and, and referring to, I don't necessarily, we often use like birth mom, birth dad language, but I also have no struggle in just like, I'm one of their moms and they have, a, they have another mom in the world. Yeah. I don't feel like it's, it, I don't feel that, um, like there needs to be that hierarchy necessarily. I don't feel, um, threatened by the idea of, um, this idea of having two moms in the world, you know, I don't have to be like, I'm the the mom. Right. And then there's the birth mom. Yes. So my, my thoughts on that have shifted a little bit over time because I just find myself more and more eager to, um, honor, to, to honor, honor mom and honor dad and, and not to diminish that relationship in any way. Yeah. And, yeah. and to do what I can, you know, my, Ruby, my daughter has an open adoption. Robert, our oldest, knows his his first mom and his first dad for sure. Like they're a part of his life. Yeah. Um, but my boys don't have that in the way that we wish they did, you know. But so it's like finding ways to 
to keep that relationship alive in any way that we can and to honor that I think has become much more important even over time. I love that. Can you unpack um, for listeners that may not be familiar with this whole concept of white saviorism? Because I think Mm -hmm. it's so key and it's such a, um, and I think, as you've said, I think things are changing. And as we have adult adoptees speaking into the conversation, it's helping to lend more understanding, especially to the experience of the adoptee. Um, But explain the white saviorism, even in our Christian circles, how that gets played out. I would love for you to kind of go there for a little bit, Shannon. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, And there are people who could speak to this better than I, but I will, I will give it my effort. I think, you know, coming out of the white evangelical church, my husband and I both, the, the thing that we have to remember is I've never heard a pastor or, you know, in a church setting, I've never heard, we're going to be white people saving children. We don't use that language. We're not that honest about it. And so it can, it can confuse the issue. It can cause us to think like, or be defensive. Like, that's not what we're doing here. We're not trying to be white saviors because we are not being honest in our language. But what I was often hearing was this idea of um, our way, you know, the white middle-class evangelical way of parenting is a superior way of parenting. Or, you know, this subtle undertone of, oh, your kids are so lucky to, to have you as their mom or to have been adopted into this family. They're so lucky. And there's just this, this like sometimes subtle um, way of framing what we're doing here, you know, in, in my family, in my home as, as preferable or superior in some way or better. And so by extension, you know, there is this undercurrent of white Christian people can save these brown or black children, just the ways we view parenting or the ways we view family or the ways, you know, the, the values that we have are set up as, as superior or preferable, um, when they're not, right. You know, this is, this is our way of doing things and it doesn't, it doesn't, but there's, there's no truth behind one way being inherently better than another or you know the idea that living in america i mean i had people say they're so they're they'll be so lucky to live in america they're so blessed to have been adopted by american parents and it's like why (laughs) like why is that seen automatically as a blessing or a plus um and and to be clear my boys were they were born in South Korea, which is a very, it's, it's a vibrant, um, mm-hmm. yes. developed country. Yes. Like yes. there are different stories from different places where you're talking about kids born into war torn countries and famine and, um, you know, things that are just really complicated and hard. That's not the story of my boys. Right. And so to right. even look at like people who would view living in America as better in some way than living in another just very um, stable, I guess, for lack of a better word, or what, or developed country was was very odd and interesting, you know, as we think about this. And and so when we see that happening, yeah, that is white saviorism. That's what that is, is this idea that, oh, they're better off here. And what we're saying is they're better off being assimilated into whiteness. Right, right. 
No, that's so helpful for my friends um, who are adopted. They, it's they many of them were adopted into Christian families, and yeah. which was wonderful. Uh, and yet there was that miss often of just um, being able to help navigate recess yeah. and what hap- the the cruel things that are said by other little kids, yes. you know, and just um, blatant racism, and yes. not having a a space to really process and um, Mm -hmm. validate, um, even help navigate emotionally what that's like. And so um, having parents that have the wherewithal and, you know, the majority of the parents that I've met, adoptive parents, um, are well-intended, absolutely, and are are really just conforming to what they are aware of at the time. And so when... um, I hear parents who really want to lean into, especially in this space, obviously, Asian culture and understand yeah. and embrace and celebrate, as you've been talking about, yeah. knowing the food and those flavors and learning how to mm-hmm. use chopsticks and all of that is just, it <laughs> yes. so encourages me, you know, and yeah. it really does set that sense of um, Imago Day that all people are made in the image of God. And um, mm-hmm. I remember visiting Rwanda a couple times and you know, the our hosts really were intentional about bringing us to all different parts of Rwanda. So it wasn't mm-hmm. that the narrative was like, oh, everyone lives with dirt floors. Yes. And Rwanda is a beautiful developing right. country that is just full of um, incredible people in all spheres of life and yeah. very expensive coffee and very expensive right. hotels, as well as Yes. Places just like in the United States, because that's right. We also have very expensive hotels, and we also have people who are unhoused. You know, so it's yeah, just like that's this right. is just that's right. You know, really bringing together um, a more accurate picture, and that's, I just yes. love that, Shannon. Well, and I want to clarify because I, I I love that you that you say that because you're exactly right, and and I want to be clear that there's no place for aren't they lucky to be adopted into America or by Americans? So, so I guess my point is that in some cases I can sort of in a small way, it's not right, but in some ways it it can be like, I understand where that perception comes from and we've got to dismantle that perception. Right. There's no, there is just no world where I see my kids as lucky. There's no world where I see my kids and their, their story as lucky. I see my kids as treasured and loved and celebrated and supported. And, you know, this is, this, this was never plan A for them. It was never plan A for my kids to be my kids to be um, for some of them to be in this country. This was not, this was not God's plan for them. And, and that is, those are complicated conversations to wrestle through. And, and my kids will spend a lifetime um, doing that and, and healing. And, you know, and I believe in healing and I believe in, in really pouring resources into healing. And I, I believe in um, what, as long as they're under my roof and I, I get to be parts of these conversations saying to them often, you don't ever have to choose between your love for your first mom or your first parents and your love for me. Because I, I saw that early on as a real tension. Yeah. Like yeah. how do we, you know, we want to make space for 
the loss and the love and the uh, rejection and, and all these really complicated emotions. And it's hard. It's like, it's one of the most helpless feelings I've ever had in my life is to be helplessly in the room, sitting in their pain with them, knowing there's nothing I can do to fix it. And, and that's the only thing I have found that I can offer is all of your love, your full love for your mom yeah. is welcome in this house. And it, it doesn't have, it doesn't take away from your love for me because you can see these kids wrestling through like, but you know, but I love you, but I love, but I, but I love this life, but I like, it's so layered. And that's my, I mean, I would say that's my, that's my biggest encouragement to adoptive parents. I have, I have more than one, but be listening to adult adoptees. And, and I came late to that. You know, I, I arrived late to that part of the, and, and I think, you know, we live in a world now where those voices are more um, accessible and elevated. And I'm so grateful for what you're doing right here. It can be hard and uncomfortable and even painful. Um, we have to be, like, I have to be predominantly listening to other adoptees, not other adoptive parents. You know, so there's tension even in me talking about this here, but I'm just going to, you know, anytime I do talk about it, I'm saying, please listen to adoptees, especially when it's hard and they're saying things that are, that are uncomfortable um, and be ready to be, to be um, anti-racist, yeah. <laughs> be yeah. ready to step into that space. I don't think white parents can be adopting transracially and not living into the urgency and the value of an anti-racism journey. Um, it just, I, I just, it, it has to be something that, that we're ready to do. And if we're not ready to do that and, and, you know, deal with the repercussions as they come, then yeah. we are not ready to be adopting transracially. Um, because all of my kids, all four of my kids have been on the receiving end of, microaggressions like crazy, but also really blatant racism. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've, you know, that's something that I've had to kind of grow into and live into and just say, okay, this is, you know, this is what we're doing. Yeah. There's no other way. Yeah, yeah. That's so true. And I think about just within, since COVID started with the anti, the rise in anti-Asian hate. Yes. And, um, you know, because of the ability for us to have access via social media and otherwise, there's just such an awareness of what's gone on. But yeah. to think about um, Asian kids having to navigate that alone yeah. and not yeah. having the parents to be able to help them to understand, you know, what to do with all of these feelings and the fears. And, yeah. um, you know, I think for me, just growing up, I don't think I've, I don't think I was as consciously aware of danger um, mm -hmm. in the same way, but these last few years, it's like, I am worried about my parents when they go grocery right. shopping, they're worried yeah. about their granddaughter. Um, I'm, you know, my grand, my daughter's worried about me. I mean, there's just this yeah. shift that's happened and to have parents who have children of Asian descent, be able to sit, hold space to talk, yes. have those conversations and to normalize those conversations yeah. is so so key. I just 
I think the world of you, Shannon. I just, I just, oh well, I same. Really, really do, and I'm just <laughs> Likewise. grateful for um, you just modeling out what the process is because we are not the same yeah. people, and you're not the same mom, and I'm not the same mom as where we began. And there's right. always going to be things that you know, nothing more humbling than parenting because we always right. get to these places and we're like, yeah. we've never been here before, we've never had to parent through yeah. whatever the situation is. And so it's yeah. extremely humbling, but there is that learning posture and that leaning in. And I have seen you demonstrate that over and over in really beautiful ways. So thank you for using your your writing and your voice to speak into the complexity. Um, yeah. I just, I, you are a friend I feel safe with in knowing that mm. you get it. And so that's one of the reasons Thank why you. I would invite you to this space even, just you're vetted. <laughs> so, <laughs> so please that take is, that as a compliment. <laughs> well, uh, it is, I cannot tell you, Viv, and I've said, I've said many times to many people that that, that is honestly um, one of the honors of my life. And I do not say that lightly. Um, it's It's a very, very big deal. It's a very big deal. And it just, yeah, even just as a, as a mom to to my Asian boys, like I don't know, it's very special. So thank you. <laughs> I am still learning. I mean, I want to be a lifelong learner. Yeah, I want yeah. to be. Um, I want to be seeing things differently than I than I see them now. One year from now, five years from now. I mean, I think that's what that's what growth is about. And yeah. you know, my boys are. You know, I'm getting ready to launch one into the world. You know, and it's like. That's something that I think adoptive parents need to remember is, you know, just, just in the context of Cal, he's about to be in the world, not with white parents attached to him Yeah, everywhere yeah. he goes. Mm-hmm. He is a, a, an Asian man in the world and he needs that cultural readiness and that identity. And, you know, so yes, making space for um, all those hard things to be said in our home is just a good, it's, it's like a little thing we can do to kind of to to help prepare our kids for the days when they're when they're flying the coop. <laughs> yes. And those days they really I mean th- those of you who are young parents the, the days are long and the years are short is true. So I true. mean seriously so true. we just blink and it just it yeah. just uh, and then they're off. So uh, my heart is with you. Boy, it's like I feel like you know motherhood is a um, a journey of just continuing to say goodbye as they just walk farther and farther. Surrender. <laughs> it's just yeah. surrender. Just, it's oh, constant it's surrender surrender. in so many ways. Yes. And we can do that. We it's can. True. Yeah. It's true. And that's why we need to stay connected. So I would love to shift really quickly to yeah. your new book that was released this fall. <laughs> I love it. It's called Start With Hello. I started reading it. I love your writing. Um, thank you. I love getting your newsletter. I look forward to reading it because oh, you are thank you. so... I mean, you just are, you're easy to read, but you're crisp and you're um, relevant and funny. So it's just oh, all sorts of wonderful. So it's <laughs> I'm very gonna enjoyable. I'm going to tell my teenagers you yes, said I'm funny I, yes, because they yes. don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well, Auntie Viv says that. <laughs> yes, but yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about the book and then we'll yeah. definitely need to touch on our backpack, our mutual we backpack. We do need to. I was a, yeah. We can't forget about we that. We can't forget about yes, that. So. So yeah, I've got my copy right here beside me too. Like you, the shiny letters. Yay. I love it. It's beautiful. Um, I wrote, so the subtitle is, it's start with hello and other simple ways to live as neighbors. I wrote this as the most, you know, this is my third book 
all of my books in some ways have touched on the thread of community. Yeah. But this is the most practical thing I've ever written. I wrote this to the person I would have been 10 or 11 years ago when we moved into this new neighborhood. Um, and, and I found myself, you know, it doesn't mean the prerequisite to reading this book is you need to have just moved. Right. But for me, when we moved into this neighborhood for the first time, I was really uh, digging into the question, why does God care so much about loving our neighbors? Like, why does this matter? What does it mean? And so with with this book, I answered the question, how do I do it? Yeah. How do we get to, um, how do we find our way to each other or back to each other? And why does it matter that we should be connected in some way with the people closest to us? And um, very practically speaking, how do we do it? Like, yeah. how do we get better at inviting people into our homes as they are and into our actual selves as we are? And, um, you know, how do we learn to be more tender for the sake of each other? How do we learn to listen better to each other? How do we learn to seek difference and not be afraid of difference? Yes. So yes. all of these different areas, um, it, it will ring through to anybody reading this book that, um, you know, part of being a neighbor is recognizing and celebrating our differences. Yes. And part of being a neighbor is um, standing with the people who are most vulnerable at any given time. Um, you know, like you said, even just the the API hate and violence that has happened. I mean, if we're going to live together as neighbors, we need to be aware of what's going on and and ready to speak out and and to step into these situations. So all of those are are in this book. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So pick up that book. We'll link all those things into the show notes as well for sure. How do people connect with you, Shannon? You can find me at shannonmartin.com. Um, sign up for my newsletter there. That is the best way to keep in touch with me. It's such a good but newsletter. But I'm also on Instagram most days at Shannon Writes and Twitter. I mean, as long as Twitter's still around. We don't I, know I by the time I'll, this be able to find releases. We don't know what's going to be the state of Twitter. But right you now, know, it's still there. I don't know. <laughs> it's still there. I'm in both places at Shannon Writes. But yeah, the website and newsletter are probably the best way to find me. That's excellent. Well, really quick. We are not sponsors of this backpack, but we are twinsies <laughs> with this backpack. It is. I am going to grab mine. Yes, Hold it's on. so Hold good. On. And mine's to the right of me right now. But it is... I think it's, um, yeah, that's the one I have. We have the same one, Shannon. We do. <laughs> it was right behind me. I should I have been more prepared. Well, I mine's to the right of me, <laughs> and it's um, the Nordis. I think that's how you pronounce it, but yeah, it's this I think great so. backpack. And every time I use it, I think of you, Shannon, and we have like, we're just, you know, we're twinsies <laughs> in it. It's just got all the I pockets. Love that. It's such a great travel backpack. It's lightweight and it stands up on its own. And we'll, we'll, so many pockets. maybe it we'll just cute. show up. It's really cute. And I seriously get so many compliments everywhere I go. But yeah, I think of too. you and your pickle recipe saved my life this summer because we had <laughs> cucumbers growing like bananas and so we just made your cucumber recipe and that was incredible as well so we'll try to yeah, get the some pickle of those recipes links. on my website okay yes find go find there. the pickle recipe you will all need that it's just so good so very very good we <laughs> od'd on pickles without any regrets Yay. So, so love it well shannon thank you so much for taking time for sharing honestly and just your your posture your heart um, it's just it's just been a joy to have time with you. So thanks for being on the Thank show. Thank you. I loved every minute of it. Thanks. 
Someday is Here is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins, and assistant editor is Ashley Miner. Show notes and graphics are by Nikki Ogden, and the original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. To learn more about the Someday's Here community, check us out on the socials at Someday's Here Podcast or at Viv Mabuni on Instagram. 